thank you, everybody. Please, uh, please have a seat. Well, if you have enjoyed the uh, the worship time this morning, this time of music, uh, you should shameless plug for you all. Come on Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights, seven o'clock. Celebrate recovery. I come as often as I can. Um, you may have ideas about what it is or it isn't. I'll tell you what it is. It's a great time of worship and music. Some really, really solid scriptural teaching, practical teaching about, hey, there's hurt in life. There are decisions we make, and God is there to help us through all of it, right? Does God help us recover from all of the crazy stuff we get ourselves into? He does, and that's what he has promised us, that he'll just be there for us in all times. Um, this is about half the band. We've got special guest star Flea on bass today. So uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm glad you all are here. Now as uh, I know, I always do this to Pastor Garen. He asked me to pray and then I got a mini sermon for you. But speaking of prayer, during the day, do you ever just ask God just for little things here and there? And it's not official prayer time starting and ending like you might when you're doing it in front of others. Um, I love to do that throughout the day. Just say, God, going into this situation, guide me. I had one of those come up yesterday. As uh, My wife's not always pleased with all my hobbies, but I was looking at buying some piece of junk car for fun to fix up. And I know you, you understand that, right? And uh, I got there and was talking to the guy, and he looked kind of down. And his business partner had died the day before. And uh, it's like, wow, God, you put me in some weird situations. I guess this is what I ask you for. I was able to, to spend about an hour with the guy, helped him work on some stuff. And uh, it was kind of weird how it worked out. And as he's getting ready to go to the funeral, I said, man, I'm, I'm, I don't know what you believe, but I'm going to pray for you during this time. And I'm going to meet up with him again uh, next week when he gets back. Being a disciple of Jesus is really, really easy sometimes. But we make it a lot harder. We put a lot of things in our head of what it's supposed to be, what it's not supposed to be. It is just letting God work through you so that you first learn how to love yourself as he loves you. And as you let him flow through you, you love others in ways that you never imagined possible. And he just does the work for you. So as we pray now, I'd like for a, don't concentrate on what I'm saying. I say a lot of weird stuff. Let God talk to you. Listen to him. Let him speak to your heart about how he wants to move in you and through you for all of our benefit. Uh, you realize that everything he does is for our good, whether we realize it or not. So let's turn to him. Father, we praise you. Uh, you really are the only one worthy of praise. And I'm very thankful that we can trust you in all things, whether they seem good or bad, that we can trust you and know that you, in the end, are victorious. It is, it's weird sometimes to look ahead and say, oh God, you are victorious in the end. Even though we haven't seemed to get to the end yet, we know that you are the winner. As creator, you are the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the greatest of all. And so we praise you as we know that you care for us more than anything. And Lord, we, uh, we pray especially this week for those uh, we know that have experienced loss. Um, for 
many different reasons have experienced loss, the loss of loved ones, loss of uh, good financial situations, loss of relationships, whatever it may be, Lord. May we put our trust in you, and we may we find healing in you as it only comes from you. Lord, help us not to fear as you call us to greater following, as you call us to jump headfirst into areas that we just don't think we'll make it. Because if you're calling us, God, we know that we're going to make it. And I do thank you for this wonderful body of believers that we fellowship with that are part of the support system that we desperately need. Lord, I pray that you infect our hearts this morning in a way where we can't take our our minds, our eyes, our ears off of you and your purposes where we know that all things will be fulfilled in you and through you and that we have a pretty tremendous adventure waiting for us as we follow you, Lord. We praise you in all things. And we just look forward to what you're going to say to us today. Your name, amen. All right, well, this is the point where we pass the peace. I think that uh, blowing kisses has been outlawed, but air high fives are still legal. So say hi to your neighbor and love them from, a di- from afar today. Guys, we've got some things going on in the life of the church. First of all, if Garen, if you didn't hear Garen earlier at the beginning, we welcome you guys. Those of you guys online, thank you for joining us. Um, I'll tell them myself, uh, I had to go pick up Jill's at the last second today. Uh, I got a Jaguar the other day. It was in 1997, though, and it didn't want to start this morning. So Garen said, don't worry, I'll hold the fort down for you. Hurry up, run. But... Um, you know, uh, so I appreciate you guys for that. But thank you guys. Welcome, everybody, uh, to just join us here, especially those of you guys online. We've got a couple of announcements for you guys. One of them is going to be baptisms. Uh, we had a wonderful beach baptism not too long ago, and it was amazing. It was awesome to see God's work continue in our lives. And so if that's something that piques your interest, uh, getting baptized or even just wanting to learn a little bit more about it, I want to encourage you to see Pastor Jen or Pastor Garen uh, when the service ends. If you just holler at them and get a hold of them because we're going to have a service here uh, as soon as we can. Uh, one of the other things that we have going on is the next study that's going on for the adults on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8 here at this building uh, is going to be emotionally healthy spirituality. And the best way that Garen has described this book to me in this study is this. A lot of times when we grow in our faith with God, we, we, want it, we say, here, God, you can have this. And we grow this. We're like, take my right hand. And just grow this aspect of me spiritually. But God wants to enhance our whole entire lives. And so, you know, that's what we're going to dive into on Wednesday nights, 7 to 8, uh, in the adult study class. That's going to start on September 8th. September 8th. So here, 7 to 8, Wednesday nights, in the pastor's office. It's not going to be in the sanctuary because the teens are going to be meeting here. 
So the teens, if you, are, if you have a teen or you know of any teen, we meet here on Wednesday nights, 6.30 actually is where we meet, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. And so uh, if you know anybody, tell them to come on and join us up. We're having a ton of fun. We're going, this month we're actually going through a series, Squad Up, where we learn about how we're better together. Uh, and last but not least, we say, the, well, the best for last, maybe. We have a mortgage burning in November. A mortgage burning in November. I mean, I can't, listen, uh, if any of you guys, those of you guys who have a mortgage, you understand the burden that it could have over you. And so what a huge burden that we're about to lift off of this church. And uh, it, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's for, it's God's faithfulness and it's our faithfulness to God that this is, uh, you know, that this is to come true. And so, uh, you know, with that being said, we go right into our tithes and offerings. Guys, there's one thing already that we can thank God for. That's just one. But as I look and I can just rewind in my head of all the times that my life has been taken care of. And not even only financially, but I mean spiritually, emotionally. I mean, God has come through every waking moment. And he's done it for every single one of us. Sometimes it may not seem like it, but he has. And so this is an opportunity that we have to continue in worship back to Christ and we're able to give back to him. And so, you know, let's just pray for this moment here. Lord, you are such a good and faithful God. And Lord, this moment is not about how much to give or why or, or, you know, where we give to. But Lord, it's who we give to. And it's a moment that we are able to give back to you in your kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. That you would ready our hearts. Father, that you would bless this moment. That you would bless the gift, the giver, Lord. And you would multiply this offering that we give to you. Father, you are a faithful God. And Lord, although the world may seem it's turning upside down, you remain the same. And so Lord, we thank you for that. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Here on the screen in just a moment, you're going to see a couple of different ways that you're able to give. Online, through text, and as well as if you're in the building, uh, we have some drop boxes in the back. Did you have to say something, Mark? Yeah. Well, What time is that? Saturday? So for those of you guys online, you might have not heard that. Saturday, 8 o'clock, 8 a.m. here at, we're going to have church on Saturday, starting at 8 o'clock. A lot of times, a lot of times people think this is church. Church is when the body of Christ comes together and supports one another. So we're going to have church here Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. Out back, we're going to be, we're going to be, there's actually, for those of you guys online, because you probably didn't hear it, but there's going to be some wood chips that are being delivered, and they're pretty much going to be dumped in the back of the church, and we have to actually shovel them over into the playgrounds to, uh, to fill those areas in. So, church here, Saturday, 8 o'clock. Be here. All right, guys. Enjoy.
Hey, hey. Online, everyone's going like, yes, you are. How can we turn this off? Saturday. Mark, you jumped ahead you jumped ahead of me and Justin, you stole my thunder, but you guys both said exactly what I was gonna say. Here's what I need. I need ten people that will let us know that you'll be here. Um the reason we're doing this, this isn't just just cause. Uh, we have we host a preschool, one of the most premier preschools in our area, there are some classrooms that have an 18-month waiting list. And we want it to look nice for them. We want them to experience, we want the kids to have a playground that, you know, is going to be fun to play on the ground. And so we're going to have these huge piles of of, uh, wood chips and your help, your help, 10 people will turn what's normally a four-hour job into a 75-minute job. And we will knock it out and have a great time fellowshipping with each other. And so that's my, uh, my, my urge to you. Let Mark know or let me know or text right now. It's like, I'll be there. And uh, that way we can know that we have enough shovels and wheelbarrows and whatever else we need to make this happen. So moving on. Will you pray with me our prayer for understanding this morning? Pray with me. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. We're going to have one reading today, and it's going to be from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. We're just going to read five verses. Romans 5, verses 5 through 10. Sorry, 6 through 10. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in this wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Church, online, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. I think there's something else that's supposed to happen now. That's all right if it doesn't.
I want to say a quick thank you. Um, uh, Dusty, Kimmy, they weren't even scheduled today, but we've had some things come up. Um, actually, the only people, there are so many people out of town in our congregation, last minute uh, vacations, that kind of stuff. Danny and Justin were the only two people scheduled today. And yet, I'm so thankful for, that pe- for people that are willing to serve. And Angela and Tara and Leon and Dusty and Kimmy and John, and they're all like, hey, do you need help? I can help. And so, man, I'm thankful that we, that we serve and attend a church that is willing to roll up their sleeves and help when it's needed. And so, thank you to all of you who stepped up and have led us in worship so far. So, I'm very grateful. So, there was this um, comedian that I would listen to growing up. And he was a Christian comedian, and um, I don't even remember his name. Um, but I, what? No, 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 no. No, that is not who I was listening to. Nine-year-old boy. There was some Christian uh, comedian, and I don't remember everything he talked about, but he had this one bit that talked about when he was a kid, And it just resonated with me because I have two sisters and I totally get it. You know, and he would talk about the road trip and how when you're in the backseat and you have that invisible line. Did anyone else have an invisible line with their brother or sister? It's like, stay on your side. You stay on your side. I am on my side. No, you're not. Mom, kids, stay on the, you know. Well, the, the, the bit that he talked about that really hit me was he, he talked about how his brother would, would, on road trips, start to annoy him by poking him. Did you ever have a sibling that would just do that? Just, just touch? And, and he would raise the game by, by every time he touched him, go, ooh, 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 ooh. Till finally he was like, Mom, he's touching me. And mom would say, stop touching your brother. Or she would do uh, the famous not even looking, swatting, just hitting anyone and everyone that she could. So that would, that would stop things for a few minutes. And then the comedian said, eventually my brother got bold again. And he would take his finger and he would get to about half an inch and not, not make contact, but go, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Have any of you experienced a sibling like this? Ooh. So finally, the, the guy says, Mom, he's not touching me. <laughs> and said he immediately would get slapped in the head for saying something dumb. The brother found the loophole, didn't he? You said I couldn't touch you. So I'm not touching you. He found the loophole. And we all look for loopholes, don't we? I mean, some of us pay big bucks for tax attorneys that can help us find every, every loophole we can. And it's not that they're illegal. It's just we want every advantage we can get. You know, th- there's the loophole if you have kids that drive and you're like, do not get a ticket on the interstate. I'm not paying for a ticket. And they come home with the ticket off Dunlop and it's like, well... It wasn't the interstate. <laughs> or you walk into 810 and your boss is like, where have you been? It's like, oh, I've been here. I was just caught downstairs. I had to stop downstairs for a second. 
when really what you mean is, I had to put my foot on the brake in my car and stop in the parking lot and eat my egg McMuffin before I walked in ten minutes late. But technically, I was just downstairs. Loophole? Am I the only... Do, have y'all never tried anything like that? Are you all just like halo people? And really, what happens is we try to justify ourselves, don't we? Well, technically, I wasn't lying. Technically, I was obeying. Technically, I was doing what I was supposed to. But really, we're just looking for loopholes. And eventually, we'll get caught or stopped. And the person that we're trying to rationalize with will usually say something like this. And you could probably say the sentence with me. That may be what I said, but that's not what I meant. Have you ever said that? That's the setting that we're going to be looking at in the Sermon on the Mount for the next couple of weeks. So just as a recap, and y'all are going to be sick of it, but guess what? By the time we finish the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to be able to pretty much say, this is what it's about. We started off by talking about the main mission of Jesus, which is found in Matthew 4, 17. And does anyone remember what it is? Repent. Turn around. You're heading towards death. Turn around, head towards life. The kingdom of heaven is near. And then it talked about how he added some disciples. And then a crowd started gathering around him. And they started doing miracles and doing great things. And they started following him. What's he going to do next? What's Jesus going to do? And eventually we come to Matthew 5 where it says, Jesus saw the crowds and he went up on the mountain and he began to speak. So, so the, we understand that when he says, when Matthew says Jesus saw the crowds, we have the disciples that were probably sitting, you know, right here. And then we have these crowds, these others that are kind of following along what's going to happen. And then we probably had in the crowd, just based on the things that Jesus says in this sermon, we probably had some scribes and some Pharisees, some religious leaders who said they had it all together and they knew what they were doing. And this rabble rouser rabbi was not going to throw them off key. And Jesus basically says to them, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven looks like? It looks like this. And he gives them these nine blessings. These nine, nine blessings that look like Jesus. And then he follows it up and he says, you know what? You're going to be persecuted. And, and, and that's never fun. But that's a sign because... I'm going to be persecuted too. And then he follows it up after that and says, you should be salt. You should have these God flavors in your life that make people thirsty for this living water that I'll give. You should be light. And actually, he doesn't say you should be. He says you are salt. You are light. You're like, we talked about this, this Fresnel light on on the, um, the lighthouse that takes light going everywhere and focuses it so that it's more impactful. And the truth is, when Jesus is talking to the crowds, he's saying to his disciples, you're light, you're salt, and guess what? If you're not being light and you're not being salt, you're probably not my disciples. Hey, crowd, I know you're just looking for a good show. But if you want to be part of this movement, this kingdom of heaven, 
It's pretty simple. All you got to do is be salt. All you got to do is be light. Follow me and let others see the God flavors and the God colors of your life. And you, you people who think you have it all together, you religious leaders who are so good at looking down on others because you can follow all the rules technically, just a word to you guys. You may technically be obeying the law, but you're not living the law. And then Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish these rules, these laws, these words from the prophets, these ancient sayings. I've come instead to fulfill them, to bring them to life in front of you, to show you what they really mean. This may be what we said, but this is what we meant when we told Moses to write these words down. And so then we get to these six sayings, these six antitheses. And what, what, what we have is this section in the last part of Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say. And it's an important thing to, to note. There are times when Jesus says, you've heard it said, and there are other times when he says, it is written. You've heard it said is... Let me tell you about the loophole you've created. You've taken a nugget of the truth and you've turned it into something else. And then there are other times when he says, it is written. And that's actually when Jesus is saying, this is what I said and this is what I meant. But we have these six statements that say, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And all six of them go back into the Old Testament law. All six of them go back to Deuteronomy or Leviticus. And these rules that God had set out, this covenantal relationship for them and God and them and each other. And Jesus is saying, all right, let's talk about some loopholes. Because you're not really getting what I was talking about. Yeah, technically you're following the letter of the law, but you're not following the spirit of the law. And it's into that setting that we read these six things. And we're going to work on the first one today and see how it goes. And cards on the table, out of the six, this one is one that I really struggle with. Maybe you struggle with it too. Matthew six or Matthew 5 says this. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. So if, if, you, if you're angry with someone, that's bad. If you slander them, that's really bad. And if you curse someone, some translations say you call them a fool. Um, if you just are over-the-top belligerent, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Or that word is Gehenna, which is um, basically the outer parts of the city where they burned the garbage. It's the outer parts that were constantly burning where just the waste was sent into this nothingness of burning. It's where the criminals that the Romans crucified 
It's where those bodies would go if there wasn't a family member that would acknowledge that they knew the criminal and take them. And so it was this eternal burning that he's talking about, this Gehenna. So, here's what you do. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle the difference quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free until you've paid the last penny. God, may the words of my mouth And the meditations that you've put in my heart over these passages be acceptable, be an accurate view of what you have for our people today, and may lives be changed. We pray this in your name. Amen. How do those words make you feel? Now, at the beginning, I'm like, don't murder. Woohoo! Mission accomplished. I don't recall killing anyone this past week. Raise the roof. But upon further review, when we dive a little bit deeper and Jesus talks about anger, all of a sudden it's like, uh, I don't like what you're talking about, Jesus. I like to make cutesy things and call it like road rage and, you know, that's, that's fun and stuff like that. But really, when it comes to it, I don't like talking about my anger. And I have it, and I'm guessing that many of you do too. And the ones that don't, I'm guessing, are in denial. So Tuesday night, <laughs> celebrate recovery. <laughs> I want to tell you, I want to give you a, a Hebrew word. The word is dabar. D-A-B-A-R, Dabar. Everybody say Dabar. Awesome. If you're online, type Dabar. Now, what Dabar is, it's, well, let, let, me, let me explain it with an example, and, and that will help you kind of round out what Dabar means. What if I were to say, I want to say a word to you, and I want you to think of something. You ready? Car. When I say the word car, What do you think about? Car is just a word. But when I say the word car, you think of something. Maybe it's the first car you owned. Maybe it's the car that broke down. Maybe it's your dream car. Maybe it's your current car. Maybe it's the color of your car. Maybe it's the type of car. But when I said the word car, in your mind, you unpacked a whole lot more than just a word, didn't you? And by just me giving you these options that I said, maybe you're thinking about this, maybe you're thinking about it, I probably opened up a whole new set of things. Maybe you started thinking about that new car smell. Maybe you started thinking about that time when you went to the mountains and your little car was just struggling to get up the hills. Maybe you started thinking about that first date that you went on with that perfect guy or that perfect girl. I don't know what it is, and it's different for each one of us, but every one of our 
concepts of car. Everything, every time we're thinking about car, we may be thinking about different things, but we're thinking about this idea of car. Not literally car always, but this concept of car. That's, that's the debar when we talk about the debar of the car. It's, it's the essence. It's the, the thoughts, the ideas, everything that comes with it. And when Jesus is talking to us in these six things, saying, you've heard it said, but I say, what Jesus is telling us is that you've taken things way too literally. I said, don't murder. And that's true. But you have narrowed the scope of what I meant to such a small thing that you have missed the point. When there is so much more creative imagination around those words than just the literal translation that you are getting at. It's not enough just to say that murder is wrong. Okay, we got it. Because they believed that murder was wrong. But over time, they developed these loopholes even to get around the concept of murder. And we know that's true because time and again, Scripture talks about how the scribes and the Pharisees plotted for ways to kill Jesus. Now, we know that they can't murder Jesus and obey the law. So they found loopholes. We can't murder him. But what if we got someone to betray him? And then what if we handed him over to these Roman oppressors who are good at and like killing people? Then what do we have? We have a dead Jesus and we haven't broken the law. And we still get what we want. And they live their lives in these loopholes of, technically I'm right, God. And it's like God is saying, that's not what I meant. You've missed the whole point. It's not about murder. Murder is the end result of a root cause. And the root cause is not murder. The root cause is anger. Anger is the beginning point that will develop into something that is more catastrophic than you would ever want it to be if you allow it to fester and grow. Anger is the root issue. Murder is just taking it to its ultimate conclusion. It's like those commercials. Do you remember? It's like, I don't remember. I think it was like cable TV. And it's like, um, when you forget to take out the trash, your wife gets mad at you. When your wife gets mad at you, you drive to work angry. When you drive to work angry, a policeman pulls you over. When the policeman pulls you over, he gives you a ticket because your light was out. When you get your ticket because your light is out, you get mad at your friend. who brought you, and, it, and it goes on. It's like, don't be like that person. And that commercial is actually a great example of how you have this root thing, and really it develops over time. And if it's not taken care of, it gets worse and worse and worse and bigger and bigger and bigger. Don't be like that. And that's really what Jesus is saying to us today. Don't be like that. It's not about, I didn't do the biggest and worst thing that I could. It's about take care of the issue at an early stage. It's about don't let it get that far. Never let it go that far. And so Jesus gives these absurd examples, just like 
those commercials that are absurd, when you do this, this happens, don't let that happen. And we all sit there and laugh because we're like, that's so absurd. Jesus does the same thing, and he gives these two examples. And the first one is, if you're going to the temple and you find, you know, you're presenting your offering and you remember somebody has something against you, go back, make it right, and then come and do your offering. Now, for the people that were in that day, they would understand that most people lived in neighboring towns. They didn't live in Jerusalem, which is where the temple was, which is where you had to offer your sacrifices. And most people in that day would have to walk two to three days to get to the temple. And so they're walking two to three days. They leave on a Sunday because they can't go on the Sabbath. And it's Sunday and it's Monday. And they get there Tuesday afternoon and they buy two pigeons because they can't afford a lamb because they're so poor. And they spent everything they could just to get there to offer these sacrifices. And they're about to make this sacrifice. It's like, oh! Bill, my neighbor's mad at me. Ah, oh, we were talking last week. And I said some things, and he said some things, and we walked off angry. Are you telling me I've got to find someone? Hey, sir, will you hold my two pigeons? Walk back three days that I don't have money to pay for. Make it right. Then walk back three days, offer my sacrifice, and then walk back three days again. Do I have to make this trip twice? Just because I remembered something, God, why couldn't you let that come to my mind before I left or after I got back? Why'd you do that? And what Jesus is doing is he is creating an absurd situation to prove, to drive home the point, don't ever let it get that far. If you knew Bill had a problem with you, handle it right then. Don't let it fester. Don't let it grow. Don't let it get worse. Don't let him start to grow animosity and you start to be resentful because of this and that. And then before you know it, things have gotten way out of hand beyond what you can fix. Don't let anger, which is the root, destroy what you have. And then just in case they weren't getting it, he gives another example. And this one is dealing more with how um, they would interact with the Roman, the occupancy of them. Because a Jewish person typically would not take another Jewish person to court. They would handle it among themselves. But he says, hey, if you know that someone has something against you and they're about to take you to court, do whatever you can to make it right. You do not want this to go to the extreme because if you do, things are going to end up bad for you. And so even if it's this dirty, filthy, Roman, pagan, hated, doesn't matter, make it right. Don't let it get that bad. Can you start to see these imaginative words that Jesus is giving in these examples? It's so much more than just don't kill someone. Jesus is saying, you need to reorder your lives around what I meant. Not just the letter of the law. When I said don't kill, I meant don't harbor this anger towards someone that will lead you down a destructive path. You need to make it right at the very earliest point you can. See, if you don't, you're going to enter into this loophole in this cycle of just perpetuating things until they get worse and worse and worse. And pretty soon you're not going to recognize who you are. 
It will change you forever in a drastic way if you don't settle it early. That's why I think Paul says things like, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't, let, don't even let it, the day go by. Handle it. Don't be angry. Because love isn't rooted in anger. And everything I've been teaching you so far on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, is about love. These nine blessings come out of love. Salt and light, you being an example to others and and leading others to God is because you love them the way I love them. You can't find anger in love. And love isn't hostile. And love isn't looking for revenge. And love isn't trying to figure out how can I get them back or make them pay or just make their lives miserable. Uproot anger. If, if, if I get at the roots in my garden, I take care of the issue. If I just snap off the weeds where I can see them and I don't get to the root of it, what happens? The weeds grow back and they seem to grow back faster and stronger and bigger, don't they? Uproot anger. Don't let it take over this garden that God wants to create in your life. Get rid of it. Because as you're uprooting this anger, guess what you have room to do? You have room to plant these seeds of love. You have room to allow God to let this garden of his grace grow in your lives if you'll just get rid of the things that shouldn't be there in the first place. And just as an aside... Two things Jesus didn't do when he was saying this first statement. He didn't distinguish between righteous anger and non-righteous anger. We have a lot of people in our society today that have a lot of righteous indignation. And they seem to be mad at everyone in the name of God for everything, whether it's politics or your views on the government or how you handle raising your kids or the educational system you it doesn't matter what it is we have a lot of righteous indignation and i struggle with that because love is patient love is kind i wonder if our time wouldn't be better spent being less indignant and more loving and let God's righteousness shine through our love instead of our anger. I wonder if more people would come to know this Jesus. I wonder if we would be salt a little bit more flavorful or light a little brighter if we weren't constantly yelling in anger at these people and loving them. Jesus didn't distinguish between righteous and non-righteous anger. The second thing he didn't do Jesus never says in in these situations, who started the problem? Jesus didn't say who was wrong and who was right. I heard someone say one time, you can be right in your actions and wrong in your heart, and you're wrong. 
doesn't matter who started the fight. It doesn't matter where the anger stems from. If you know it's there, you are called to initiate reconciliation. Because guess what? They may not. Because guess what? They may not even know that you're feeling those situations. Have you ever had that happen to you? You're so upset at someone and finally you let them know, I just want you to know I forgave you for this. And they're like, what? I didn't even know I did that. And you've lived with this anger and this, this resentment in your life for so long and they didn't even know they did anything. It doesn't matter who started the animosity. What matters is, if God brings it to your mind, you have a choice. Will I walk in light today and make things right? Or will I choose to resist, which automatically takes me farther from the light? I can't say I'm walking in light and not follow where Jesus leads. So your job is to make it right. The other person may accept it. You may have this beautiful hallmark moment of reconciliation. Or they might say, I don't care. I can't forgive you. the, The result, the outcome, is not what God is asking you to handle. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. What God is asking you to handle is your obedience in that moment to seek reconciliation. Do not let anger take hold of you. It may have been that you were both angry at each other, and when God gets a hold of you and you say, God, I'm not going to do this anymore, and I'm going to trust you, trust God. Trust God for the outcome. So here's what I want to do. We're going to close, but I want you to close your eyes. Uh, If you're online, uh, yeah, close your eyes. I mean, what are you doing? You're just looking at the TV anyway. I want to give you a word, and I want us to kind of do this dabar thing, kind of like we did with the word car. Are you ready? Here's the word. Anger. Is there a person that comes to mind when you think of that word? Is there a situation is there a family setting when, when I say the word anger, Thanksgiving dinner with the family pops up? That coworker at work that I've never done anything to them, and yet somehow I've always got a target on my back because of them. Here's the thing. Whatever you're thinking of, I believe it's the Holy Spirit that's putting that thought in your mind. It's not me. It's not your psyche. It may be a little bit of both, but I believe it's the Holy Spirit that is bringing things to mind. Maybe something that happened five minutes before you walked into the sanctuary Maybe something that happened 50 years ago when you were a kid. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind, but chances are something is coming to your mind. 
Would you be willing to surrender that situation, that moment, that person, to the Lordship of Jesus right now? Would you be willing to let go of that anger so that you can hold on more tightly to the hand of Jesus? Could you surrender that hurt that you feel, that frustration that you have, that animosity that you sense? Would you be willing to be honest with yourself and acknowledge that people and situations may be there that you are partially responsible. You're responsible for some of the damage or some of the anger. Whether it happened to you or whether God's bringing to mind people that you have hurt out of anger. Again, cards on the table. I struggle with this. Finished my sermon yesterday around three. Was driving home on Dunlawton, and the word that went through my mind when someone cut me off was idiot. I had just finished studying this and preaching and getting ready to prepare, and the word that came to mind was the word that Jesus said, Don't say, don't call people this. And I still remember it was a white car, Indiana tags, and they just cut me off, and we almost had an accident, and the first thing I thought was, idiot! So I'm saying that to tell you, this is not someone that has settled it and answered it, and I got it all together. I'm saying I'm struggling with this issue with you. And I don't want to. And maybe if I can just let go of one or two things today, God will give me more room to grow love. And eventually, over time, if I have a garden that's growing, maybe it'll start to suffocate or strangle those feelings of anger. Here's what I want you to do. All right, you can open your eyes. If God brought someone to mind and they are alive and you can make the situation better or at least try to bring reconciliation, I want you to pull out your phone right now and I want you to text that person if you have their number and I want you just to say, can we grab coffee? You can go ahead and do it now if you have someone. It kind of scares me that nobody has anyone. Maybe you say, I'm not really a texter. I want you to write down that person's name, and I want you to say, can we meet sometime this week? If we can't learn to surrender our anger to God, we will be stuck in a place that we don't want to be. So um, my phone is used as one of the cameras, and it's on airplane mode. So if I'm the person that you need to meet with and say, you really made me angry, or I'm sorry if I made you angry, you can go ahead and text me because it will go to airplane mode and it won't, oh, it's already, it's already dinging, listen to that. And that's okay. 
Don't let anger take its root in you. Don't let anger destroy what God has for you. Let's pray. God, this is one of the tough areas. Because if we admit that we have anger issues, we feel like it exposes a weakness in us that we don't want others to see. But at the end of the day, you already see it. us to surrender it because you understand that holding on to this baggage doesn't hurt the other person it just destroys us God I pray for courage for myself and my friends I pray that you will help us to take steps of reconciliation I pray that as we do the hard work of being vulnerable, that you will prove yourself to be strong as you always are and that you will pave the path before us so that when we speak these words, when we talk to these people, when we spend a little bit of time and a little bit of money and we just are honest with someone, I pray that you even now are going ahead of us and preparing our hearts even more and preparing the other person's heart so that reconciliation can take place. God, if the truth is told, this means we may be calling some parents or some children or some coworkers And that always leads to the possibility of more awkward situations down the road. So I pray that you will, I pray that you will give us peace to trust in you and to trust in your word. And to leave the outcome to you. I pray this in your name. The name of the only one that can save us, the only one that can that can save us from our anger. Amen. Think of Jesus. What a, what a tough example to sit at a table with a person that he knows will betray him and not be angry. To be wrongfully accused by the spiritual leaders and not be angry. To be taken before a Roman government that in all reality bows to the lordship of God and not be angry. To be convicted by a pagan ruler and sentenced to die and not be angry. 
to be beaten, mocked, and crucified by soldiers and not be angry. And to be on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. It puts my anger in perspective and really makes me want to have more of the love of God and less of my anger. So we come to the table today, and if you have your elements, you can go ahead and get them out. If you don't, feel free to grab them. They're in the back. And we understand that on the night that our Lord was going to be betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples, all of whom would run within the next 24 to 48 hours and hide. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, I want you to know, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. Take it, eat it, and be thankful. Then he took the cup and he lifted it up. This cup of redemption. And he said, this is a new cup. This is a new covenant. I'm redeeming humanity. I'm in the middle of doing something that you cannot do for yourselves. And I do it freely, and I do it out of love, not out of obligation. I do it because I love you. And he lifted up the cup and he said, this represents my blood, which will be shed for you. Take it, drink all of it, and be thankful. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. I pray that you will help us to live into that kindness and that love and show it to others this week. I pray that you will help us to be willing to be vulnerable this week. We pray this in your name, understanding that this table this table was not the final word. What you fulfilled through these through these, these symbols by dying, being raised from the dead by God, ascending to heaven and interceding even now for us, pleading our case, sending the Holy Spirit so that we could have your mind, that we could have your power that we could be guided and led by you. I pray that you'll help us to live into that reality this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. Will you stand with me? Let's sing our benediction, and then we'll, we'll send you on your way so that you can go and have coffee with people. Will you sing with me? We sing hallelujah, let your kingdom come in our hearts. In our homes, let your will be done as we go in your name. We shout and we proclaim, let your will be done in us. We'll see you next week.
No. That was me. Did you know it was me? I thought it was. Yeah, I wrote this one.